You're listening to the Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Patrick, Towner, Caitlin, good morning. It's just the four of us today. Tristan and Mark are on assignment to the West Coast. They've got California covered. Uh, so it's just the Glad four to of hear us. Somebody does. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Towner, very upset this morning because he doesn't like his shirt and pullover combination. Not a fan. Not How a many fan. shades of blue do you have going right now? I mean, I uh, see there's a million shades of blue. Yeah. yeah. No, I have. If if the rainbow was just blue, that would be that would be what I had. <laughs> All right. Well, Caitlin. Uh, Oh, by the way, by the way, next week, we will do the second annual Christmas Carol, political Christmas Carol episode. Towner, you better get ready and you better bring your A game. I don't even know game. about this. You better bring your A game. You better go back and study the tape from last year. I'm going into the vault. And, and bring your A game. All right. Howard kicked everyone's butt last year. It was kind of epic. Yeah. You only it gave awesome. us like 24 hours last year. I was not on my A game. Well, it was, it was Mr. Martin's idea. It was, so. it was my idea. And then Towner, Caitlin and I went full millennial and didn't complete the assignment. <laughs> so, <laughs> Howard and Mark <laughs> so do I have to come up with a song? Is that how this works? Like, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a back in the halls with Democrat money. Follow, there you go. Yes. There you go. Don't, you tell her. Don't give it away. OK. All right. I won't use that one. I won't use that one. All right. So a lot going on in D.C. Caitlin, you had a you had a thesis on our our pre-show text exchange, how to kind of make sense of sense of all this. So let's start with you and tell us what's going on. Yeah, well, I would say, you know, this is a good week in, in showing that despite the headlines and some of the inside the beltway back and forth and questions about whether or not these deadlines were going to be met and whether or not staff were going to be here through Christmas or through the end of the, um, through New Year's, essentially, um, we, we saw Washington work this week. We saw some, some major end of year pieces of legislation move forward. It looks like, you know, last year we got the vote on the continuing resolution to fund government um, after concern about whether or not we were going to to shut down and, and, and that passed last week. This week, we got movement on NDAA. Um, and we also are seeing, and I'll have Towner explain, Professor French really explain the dynamics of it here, but we got this weird, wacky procedural um, movement where McConnell was able, Leader McConnell was able to strike a deal to move forward on a vote on the debt ceiling by Changing the proceed, I'm I'm, I'm going to slaughter this. Ta- Professor you, French is going to come right. in and correct us, but essentially changing the procedure by which to vote for the debt ceiling, so that the debt ceiling vote can then pass on a second vote by just a simple majority with Democrats. So it was a little bit of a. Um, can we call it a hall pass? I feel like that's what happened. Here. <laughs> <laughs> McConnell probably would not want to call it that, but essentially, (laughs) I don't think Mitch McConnell would even know what that means, but (laughs) there's no hall in his school. Still no, still no build back better. Still no. That wasn't a must pass by the end of the year. Yeah. That's not even a must pass at all. 
Kaylin, you nailed the thesis. Actually, according to you. Yeah. Kaylin, you nailed the thesis and before Towner kind of explains what happened. I just want to add to to Howard's point, there there are mandate just like in the in the budget, there's mandatory spending and discretionary spending. In legislating writ large, there is mandatory legislation and there's discretionary legislation. You gotta fund the military. You have to raise the debt limit. You have to fund the government. You just and if you try to make that the thing that you are going to extract concessions on, it's a huge risk because at the end of the day, it has to happen. And I think what was interesting politically is each side kind of got a win on NDAA. Republicans won. Democrats didn't have enough votes. There were too many liberals who didn't want to vote for it because of the increased spending levels and some other policy concerns. So Democrats needed Republicans to pass it. And so Republicans got pretty much everything they wanted in NDAA. Uh, and on the debt limit, I think it was a win for the Democrats. It, I, I just think they it was a stare down. And I don't think McConnell had another card to play, assuming he didn't want us to default. So it's just a reminder that like when you go into these, uh, you know, kind of big uh, momentous debates, uh, you know, <laughs> some of this is is already pre-written. Right. You, you kind of know how it's going to end. Yeah, this is the. You know, I, I want to touch on NDAA for one second. This is what the 61st consecutive year uh, that the defense authorization bill has passed on an annual basis, uh, which is remarkable uh, to the extreme. And what is more remarkable about it is, to my knowledge, and I didn't go back and, and look at every vote uh, from Speaker Pelosi's uh, long yes, years you of reign. You looked at all the votes. You I know, looked, all, you know every, last but, night. But this is, I think, one of the very few votes under any Speaker Pelosi Congress where more Republicans voted for something than than Democrats. Agreed. And meaning it was a very well supported Republican uh, defense uh, package this year. It contained twenty five billion dollars extra for defense. Uh, And um, and so Republicans feel like they can they can claim a win there. This is also why the at the beginning of the week. They thought, hey, let's attach this debt ceiling uh, expediting uh, solution to the NDAA. Uh, and it fell apart on Monday and Tuesday because they realized, oh, shoot, we need Republicans to actually pass NDAA. Democrats aren't going to do it. Progressives aren't going to vote for it because Isn't of Isn't that a shame? McCarthy yeah. was right on that, by the way, too. Don't you think, Tanner? I think well, McCarthy, McCarthy was totally was right to be like, this is going to blow everything up. Like, we are going to get a win here. Don't attach these things and cause us problems. Well, and it should be extremely embarrassing to McConnell and Schumer, who have been plotting this strategy of adding the uh, expedited consideration of the debt ceiling to NDAA for several weeks behind closed doors. Uh, And all they had to do was, you know, socialize the issue just a little bit. And they'd realize that's totally impractical. It's not going to happen in the House of Representatives. And luckily, they had the Medicare extenders bill sitting there that also had to be done this this past week. And they were able to shift strategies really quickly. That's a bill that would be that can be carried by Democrats. And they were able to move the uh, expedited procedures for the debt ceiling onto the Medicare uh, extenders package uh, and move that through the House with Democrats only and Adam Kinzinger, because that's how we roll. Um, and Cheney didn't even vote for it. Can you believe it? And then uh, and then move that package over to the Senate, uh, where they were able to consider it and get 14 uh, Republican senators to vote for it. But again, McConnell had to 
I, I just don't know. I, I don't know. He, you know, we, we talked about it this morning a little bit off offline. You know, he took a hostage. He wouldn't shoot. He uh, he had, you know, he hadn't thought this through to a certain degree. I mean, he took debt ceiling to a point where he made threats to Schumer over and over again. He got his conference behind him and there were threats he could not follow through on twice twice this year at the back end of this year. And so I feel like, you know, the country won. We got the debt ceiling extended. The government's funded. The defense bill is well on its way to passing next week uh, in the Senate. And then who knows what's going to happen with Build Back Better at this point. We'll talk about that. But, you know, the country won because we don't have any any major challenges ahead of us. But I feel like McConnell weakened his position with the co- with the caucus right now on the Republican side because he's had to capitulate to Schumer twice. But I do well, you think Connor, Connor has. Oh, sorry, Kayla, go ahead. I was just going to say you and Sean Hannity agree on that on that point. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't think anyone on this call was uh, monitoring Fox News this week. But uh, the the conservative media right is really going after Mitch for capitulating this week. And again, I don't know what the alternative was. Shutting down the government, defaulting on the debt certainly is. is yeah, not. how did that go over with independents? Like this is where <laughs> the talk radio cable news community just has no idea. Like. They, they're not their job isn't to get elected. And I think McConnell's I think where his position changed. And while in Washington, political speak, it may look like he, you know, capitulated or lost or whatever. But at the reality, I think he, he he's looking at the whole chessboard. and He's going, we're winning. We are winning this election next year. Why am I going to bring us to the brink? Why would Republicans fumble the football on the one yard line when every economic indicator, every political indicator says we're going to do well in November in the elections next year. That's my thinking. You, oh, yeah. I think you're absolutely right, Patrick. Hannity and I have the same conclusion that McConnell lost. We have a totally different underlying <laughs> thesis, though. Mine is he didn't have the guns to go to this battle. And so, you know, Schumer was going to beat him at the end of the day and ended up beating him twice. Hannity would have preferred to see the debt ceiling breach happen and our entire economy collapse. I, I do not want that. I just think, you know, strategy wise, McConnell didn't have a good week again. It's it. I have two reactions to this. One is it's normal in the sense that there's sausage making and negotiating and one party has more power than another today. And, <clears throat> and so that's one reaction. The other reaction I have is this feels like the ultimate inside the beltway conversation and this is called the beltway briefing and so it should be um but i feel like if you're sitting in i don't know um suburban chicago patrick where you live like <gasps> who cares yeah so they're worried about crime, smashing oh, you think grab, that was McConnell's I think that's why McConnell didn't want to bring everything to the brink i think he's thinking like we pass all this, like, let the Democrats go do build back better. And let's keep talking about the stuff we're talking about now, which is inflation, which that's, I just think that's why he was willing to to do what he did. Because I, I think he thinks to your point, Howard, in the rest of the country, people are focused on a bunch of other stuff that politically right now is probably beneficial for Republicans. And so if you're sitting in suburban Chicago and you're Forget about the electoral politics from a business point of view. You know, how do you how do you size up DC? How do you how do you think about all this? I mean, I'll tell you, my view is 
you kind of expect this every year and you know, at the end of the day, they're going to get to the right place. And I, but it, gosh, it, this can make you awfully cynical. Yeah. I would, I would add, you know, to Caitlin's point, kind of our inside the belt beltway analysis that Washington worked, I think is right. But I don't think out in the country, anyone's given Washington a pat on the back. I think even, even when Washington works, it looks so ridiculous uh, in the way it has to work. Just like, look what they had to do to raise the, the debt ceiling, this like hilarious <laughs> one-time rule exception that doesn't really make He's any sense. Gymnastics is what I'm yeah, calling. And, and so, I mean, to the degree anyone's even to your point, Howard, even paying attention, you know, beyond what they see on their social media pages or on TV, I, I just think the country, you know, and this is why I think President Biden's approval rating is where it is, is I don't think the country feels like we have reset to normalcy in the way uh, that we should have. It doesn't feel like uh, our politics is is any better uh, than it was a year ago. We don't have the Trump sideshow every day, uh, although I guess increasingly we have it a little bit. But um, so I think that my guess is the country is tuned out. They're focused on the holidays and, you know, that's, yeah, I don't think I'm, start, I'm starting to get a little concerned from the Republican side of the aisle, because if you step back and you take off a political hat and you look at this resume and you look at one point nine trillion dollar American rescue plan last March when the country needed it the most, you look at one point two trillion dollar infrastructure bill that was supported in a bipartisan fashion, at least in the Senate, that Republicans are going to try to run against. But it's going to be more difficult if you look at if Build Back Better gets put across the finish line and he can appease the progressive base as a result of a lot of those programs uh, that happen. And we get to a point maybe next year, second quarter, where inflation starts clearing up. And, you know, the runway to November is actually looking a little bit better for Democrats. And it's under the age of five, start getting vaccinated. Um, you know, just some things like that are, that just start happening. We don't know what it yeah, to your point. We don't know what it's going to feel like next year. But I will say one quick thing on the on the debt ceiling. I mean, this is not the first time that the debt ceiling has has brought on some ridiculous procedural items. I mean, you all remember the super committee for a while. We had years of sequester. We've had, you know, I mean, it's been 20 years of stupidity uh, on the debt ceiling uh, increase. And and at some point, both parties are going to come to the conclusion that uh, maybe it's something we shouldn't keep dabbling with. But I, I don't see that happening in, in the short term. It's amazing. I mean, obviously, our national debt isn't going away. No, it's wish it was. <laughs> I mean, it's just it, it's it's hard to know what to make of it. I get asked this all the time, like, where does it end? And it's I, you know, when I was in government, we used to get involved in when I was at the Exim Bank in in forgiving developing world country debt. And there was a process we'd go through and with treasury and it, it just, it feels like there is a serious issue there. Yep. It's just that the way we, our politicians try to deal with it isn't, isn't serious. They try to use this, the limit as like, you know, the, we try to use the limit as the basis for a conversation when what we really need is is a conversation. 
about what it all means. And my personal view is it's funny money. Um, yeah. Uh, at I mean, the we owe $30 of, trillion, dollars, mostly yeah. to ourselves now. Yeah, it's it's funny money. And obviously, it's never getting paid back. I don't know how we can ever dig ourselves out of this hole. Does it? And, and there may come a day where other countries like China have to forgive debt, our debt, and give us a, a bit of a clean slate. I I don't know. It's a bit of a you know, it's interesting. One thing I'll, I'll note here is that foreign investment debt has actually gone down. Uh, over the last 10 years. I mean, China's our biggest debtor at $1 trillion. We owe $30 trillion on our national debt. And so it isn't. Uh, Japan has decreased their position in our debt. Um, you know, you'd be shocked at how how small of a percentage the actual foreign investment is in our overall debt load. We mostly just keep adding debt that we owe ourselves. We're robbing our next generation to pay yeah. this generation, assuming you pay it back. If you don't ever pay it back, and you're not robbing anybody and you just keep rolling debt. And at some point, I mean, you know, we're going to pass like the Democrats had their trillion dollar coin idea where you just mint a trillion dollar coin and, you know, give it over to the Treasury and they pay down part of the debt, you know, or we just uh, eventually we beg Bitcoin to pay off our debt so we can be fine. Tanner, don't get me started. <laughs> it's, too, it's too early to talk crypto. <laughs> too early. Sorry. Um, you know. I saw something a couple of weeks ago. I think I texted it to you guys where um, it was an email exchange from one of the investigations from 2014 between it was um, Hunter Biden and Tucker Carlson, where Tucker Carlson was asking Hunter Biden to help him get his daughter into Georgetown Law School, I think. And all of our reactions to it were that, you know, this is what people, what people don't see that. And look, this was 2014, not 2021. I think it was 14. But the point is like, I don't know. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes and like, it's all a little bit of, it's all a little bit of a game as far as how much these guys hate each other at the end of the day, you know, I don't know that it's directly relevant to what we saw this week legislatively, but it's, I don't know. It's again, it's like, it, it's all a little bit of a game and yeah. I was just totally. struck by it. They're all elite. It's like Trump and the Clintons at that wedding with that picture. That is like the presidential level example of like, they're all just, I mean, no one is like, and I'm pointing to like, you know, whether it's a TV news personality or a politician, there is not like, these are not true people of the people, right? I mean, they all live in Washington and New York and are wealthy and famous. Like it just, it's not like, yeah. They, and to your point, Howard, they like live amongst each other and their kids go to school together and they're not, you know. We're in the midst of the uh, Washington, D.C. holiday party circuit, which 
had taken a pause over the past uh, year, two, two years. God, I don't even know where we are here. Um, and it's nice to see the list, to see these senators out in a bipartisan way at some of these events, spending time. We've talked here about uh, the mansion house vote parties, for example. I mean, at the end of the day, this is aside from the, the media side of things, but Washington works best when the members are staying here getting together, having conversations when they're in the office, when they're not holding remote committee hearings and remote votes, when they're up in the House office buildings and Senate office buildings in the Capitol, that's when the real legislating gets done. And that's good for America. I totally agree. And this week, I mean, you saw too, like the tried and true tradition of something that really seems to bring Washington together, which is, which is always a funeral. And it's sad, but I mean, with Senator Dole's passing, mm. you just you saw, you know, as he lied in state, you saw all of these people coming together and, and you it, you just kind of watched. I had C-SPAN turned on and, and you kind of watch people interacting and and the conversations and the remembering of a different time. It's just it's always like a fascinating kind of Washington exercise. I met Bob Dole, uh, you know, I don't know when it was 20 years ago, maybe. Uh, you felt like you were in the presence of I mean, he, he was a little rough around the edges to some <laughs> degree. It wasn't like warm and fuzzy, but somebody of stature, somebody of principle, somebody substance, like of substance. And, but I guess I think there are plenty of people like that today. And at, still, and there are more and more people who are on the edges trying to and kind of blending the Sean Hannity narrative into actually into politics. The, you know, the Tom Cottons or the Josh Hawley's that are that are actually trying to take that rhetoric and, and bring it into our political discourse as opposed to just letting it play on Fox News. But there's still plenty of substantive people. They may disagree with one another, but on both sides of the aisle. And I feel like what we saw this week is, is proof of that. There, there are still, they still adult every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, um, I agree. And I, I, I think that maybe the thing that as just, you know, kind of thinking of like my age, like the, as a, whenever we see someone like that past the thing, I just, those guys who fought in world war two, yeah. like it was just, there's just something that that's the only thing I think is missing. And it's really like, because of what they did, a couple of future generations didn't have to go through like a massive global conflict like that. We've obviously had war since then, but uh, you know, just the rough around the edges, Howard thing, I was thinking like, about the same thing with John McCain, like people kind of, that was always a commentary. And it's like, the thing I, I always forget with, particularly with those two guys is like the physical pain that they were in from yeah. like what happened to them. And it's like, it's just like, it was what I liked is this week with reading about Senator Dole and some things I knew, some things I didn't, but it's just, you're like, that is someone who lived a life, man. I mean, it's just amazing. Right. And, you know, look at, and ran for president. I mean, was the Republican nominee and unsuccessful, but yeah, he lived a life, lived a life. So, all right, we can keep it short today. Uh, I think we summed up what's going on well. 
Kate in a positive way. I, I appreciate the positivity this week, guys. This is a good way to end the week. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Let's let's be positive. Um, and I we gotta wait till Mark's back on to get real, just you know, <laughs> yeah. cynicism. Yeah. We'll, I end, how, we'll end with the Christmas podcast that's just really dark and angry. I think. <laughs> I like how Howard brought it back to the people, by the way, in his comments, echoing Mark uh, from in his absence. That's right. Tyler, I'm a man of the people. That's what everybody (laughs) tells me. Uh, Well, Mark will, in theory, be back next week. We'll see how much uh, Pinot he consumes in (laughs) the vineyards of Napa. Uh, Tristan will, in theory, be back next week. We'll see how much sun he gets in uh, on the beaches of San Diego. Um, they've got Cali covered, but, uh, we will be back next week with a fun holiday episode. And, uh, thank you all for listening as always, Patrick Towner, Caitlin have a great weekend and we'll be back. You've been listening to the Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.